0: We join the line now by Analyst at 27.4 Investment Managers, Nadir Token. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina. Now, Nadir, just looking at uh, the U.S. economy and uh, the fact that it created 142,000 jobs in September, and that number missed expectations. But tell us more about that and also the reaction to these figures. Yeah, Sakina, I mean, it obviously seems to be a very big market-moving number, as we've expected. You know, because the Federal Reserve uh, uses the, the, the jobs numbers and the unemployment rates as a key indicator um, in deciding where interest rates in the U.S. are going, and that's obviously um, you know been the much uh, been the, the subject of much speculation and 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 uh, much market volatility ever since the Federal Reserve has started using more sort of uh, hawkish tones at the uh, open market committee meetings warning that interest rates are on the verge of increasing. Now, the number which came out on Friday is obviously exceptionally disappointing at 142,000 jobs. And for the second month in a row, we saw uh, the U.S. adding le- uh, sub-200,000 jobs for the month. Now, you know, there's obviously speculation on the back of that that the Federal Reserve may not be able to increase inc- uh, interest rates at their October meeting. And, uh, you know, some market ex- uh, some market pundits saying that uh, possibly even December might be too soon for a Federal Reserve interest rate increase. I think, uh, you know, it's likely early to say that December won't see an interest rate increase. We've got to see what the next two payrolls data indicate and what uh, third quarter growth numbers come out at, because we obviously see the U.S. economy surging ahead still in terms of economic growth, the 3% growth uh, for the second quarter, or just over 3% growth for the second quarter, and uh, the manufacturing sector remaining uh, relatively robust now, you know, we have saw some dollar weakness after that number, and, uh, you know, if, if that's sustained, if that dollar weakness is sustained for a long period of time, we could finally see some inflation entering the U.S. economy, and that could see an interest rate increase um, or, 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 you know, pose an, an interest rate increase uh, condition for the Federal Reserve. Now, the unemployment rates held at 5.1%, despite the fact that the jobs numbers were so disappointing. Um, but, you know, it's very interesting to see what the market reaction to that was? You know, we saw global risk assets firmly in negative territory. Um, you know, before the data came out, it came out, and just after the data came out, um, but then we saw that reversing into strong gains. I mean, the Dow and the S&P were down in excess of 1% at one point in Friday's trading and then ended the day up over 1%. So, you know, and, and that's really on the back of traders saying that, uh, you know, expecting that interest rates can't, can't move um, up as soon as possibly what they were expecting um, when the U.S. growth numbers came out just a couple of weeks ago. So we saw the dollar uh, fall through the floor a little bit. In fact, even the, the RAND strengthened quite considerably, trading at about thirteen seventy two to the dollar after the data came out. And that's really on the back of expectations of where interest rates are going. I think uh, market pundits now place a 10% probability on a hike in October. That was considerably higher just a couple of weeks ago and uh, we've got to remember that Janet Yellen came out uh, about a week and a half ago and said that uh, the U.S. has got to start uh, tightening interest rates gradually so that they don't have to tighten monetary policy very quickly and shock the economy. Now, that might be put on the back burner most likely given these uh, numbers that came out. So much lower probabilities of higher interest rates and risk assets are rallying uh, quite considerably while, uh, you know, the dollar takes a bit of a hammering. And Nadeer, I see South African uh, hedge fund managers beating benchmark equities index there. Yeah, Sakina, I think this is an interesting one. You know, there's been a lot of uh, misnomer or stigma about the hedge fund industry uh, post the global financial crisis. But I think in South Africa, you know, it's it's proved to be a very sound uh, investment strategy to allocate parts of your capital to South African hedge funds. So, I mean, if you look at uh, what the average manager did, um, you know, so far for the year, we're talking around 15% uh, for the average hedge fund manager for the year, whereas the J C All Share Index, I'm sure as the listeners are aware, is up around 35 uh, to 4% for the year. So obviously massive outperformance from the hedge fund managers. And if we just break down very simply what hedge fund managers in South Africa generally do, you know, we talk about a long, short equity hedge fund that delivered those kind of returns. In general, what hedge fund managers can do is that they can play both ends of the market. So they can hold a stock and hope that the share price goes up after doing some fundamental analysis or um, you know after really looking at a company in detail they can do what we call shorter stock which means that they can sell it without owning it and therefore they benefit from the price going down and they have to uh, deliver the share back to the person that they borrowed it from at a later date so you know and and that's obviously proved to be a very profitable strategy um, over the last couple of months when equity markets have come under considerable pressure so the reason, the reason hedge, fund, uh, uh, the hedge funds are, are, are very attractive is because of the extent of downside protection they provide you with. Sakina when the market sells off, because you can, you be, because of the ability to short stocks. So, you know, you deliver a lot more return for taking on a lot, uh, a lot less, re- or a lot more return per unit of risk adopted, shall we say? Um, and you know, the ability to short the market proves exceptionally handy um, when, when, when markets get exceptionally volatile you know during the financial crisis was a great example of that and obviously in the last couple of weeks when we've seen a lot of volatility feed through into markets has been a great example of that and uh, you know just to give an example of a very successful trade hedge fund managers have been benefiting from recently um, you know obviously being short the resource sector has been uh, phenomenal so a lot of hedge fund managers been short London uh, you know with a platinum price declining and with a very impaired balance sheet that's obviously proved to be very successful um, and short NTN. you know where uh, obviously there's been a lot of concerns about the, how they're deploying cash flow and how they're allocating capital given the extent of profits which are coming out of Nigeria, but the lack of investment in that economy, and also uh, with lower oil prices expecting that, uh, you know, their numbers are going to come under pressure, with voice revenue coming under significant pressure and intense competition amongst data. So a lot of managers shorting uh, uh, MTN, which has obviously come under a lot of pressure, coming from around 220 to hitting lows of around 170 and now bounce back a little bit. So the ability to short stocks, Um, And, you know, employ a number of of, of hedging mechanisms to benefit from the market falling has really protected capital very nicely for investors during volatile times. And then a quick question here from one of our listeners, uh, Nadir. Morgan wants to know, um, why is everybody saying telcom is a buy? What are the fundamentals? Yeah, you know, Sakina, this is a very interesting one because, uh, you know, it's uh, between – 14 and 16 rand a share. Everybody hates Telcom. You know, they said that uh, the fixed landline industry is something that's in terminal decline, and uh, you know, d- Telcom is losing customers, and uh, you know, nobody wants a landline anymore. And uh, on the mobile, on, on, on the data side, you know, they're losing customers to mobile to mobile data in a big way. Um, you know, but, but if we, if we look at uh, Telcom at that point, you know, there were a lot of up underlying efficiencies which could be obtained, you know, without gaining any new customers, you know, if they just uh, uh, they decrease their cost base, if they just sold some unwanted properties which they had, um, you know, if they just got their mobile, the telecom Mobile, which is their mobile business to break even. You know, we are talking about a significant gain in earnings. So even on, you know, a a, a 9 to 10 times multiple, we are talking about, you know, 20 to 30 Rand upside in the share price, um, you know, at that point, with very little being achieved in terms of gaining new customers and and, and increasing their revenue. Then we saw, you know, on the back of that, we saw Telcom announcing some of these plans, you know, obviously, um, unfortunately, with with a retrenchment in order to save costs. But then also with regards to announcing a radio sharing deal with MTN to get their mobile business to break even, Um, you know, so not even contributing to earnings, but just not uh, clawing away from earnings with regards to incurring losses. And after that point... We saw MTN share price rally aggressively. Uh, 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 we saw Telkom share price uh, rally fairly aggressively all the way to the lo- to the mid 80 rands a share. You know, and, and, and at that point they were fairly fully valued because uh, you know there was a lot of the, it was priced for perfection. So with regards to the employment efficiencies, with regards to the radio sharing deal breaking, even with regards to you know the rollout of 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 uh, uh, the, the the internet to the to the corporate customers through the purchase of business connection there was a lot of things that were priced in for perfection and then unfortunately um, they hit a bit of a wobble with regards to execution risk on their uh, on their retrenchment packages and you know the the, the, the labor courts uh, uh, issuing an interdict to say that they, that, that they have to hold back on their retrenchments and uh, you know they can't proceed as they planned and then we saw the share price come under some pressure all the way back to the mid 60s so you know there are analysts who are saying that uh, you know, they are going to achieve their operational efficiencies. They are slowly liquidating their massive property portfolio, which is valued at about uh, 5 to 6 billion rand. Um, and, 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 you know, on the back of that, we're going to see increased cash flow from the business. So, you know, the pullback in the share price is an opportunity to buy. Um, you know, but I think that's still being a bit of, a, a bit reactive. When the share price was as low as, uh, you know, 20 rand a share, certainly, but at this point, I still think there's a bit of execution risk in terms of uh, achieving those efficiencies. And you've got to adopt a wait-and-see approach with Telcom and uh, uh, sort of analyze where they're going with uh, achieving those efficiencies. And, uh, you know, if some good news comes out, we'll see the share price rally a little bit. But certainly at this point, you know, not a screaming buy, but uh, with with a bit of a pullback, offering a bit of value, um, you know, if they get their their, their operational efficiencies plan 100% right. Thank you so much, Uh, Nadia Token. Morgan, I hope that answers your question. Nadia Token, Analyst at 27 for Investment Managers. 105.7, the home of SAFM in Cape Cape Town. SAFM.